From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. I slept through my alarm this morning. It makes me oh, feel no. really bad about myself. I'm sorry. I just don't like that at all. But, I mean, you can't... I have to make sure it doesn't, like, frame the rest of my day, but it's a shock. It makes me feel like a 14-year-old boy when I sleep <laughs> through my alarm. <laughs> like a TV teenager. Yeah, just like, 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 oh, no! <laughs> yeah, gotta get on my skateboard and, you know, get behind a truck and hang on or yep, whatever yep, Marty yep, McFly yep. does. This is comedian Jenny Slate. She's got an ability to find charm and humor in places other people might not even bother to look. Whether that means making a short film about a seashell who wears shoes or starring in a romantic comedy about abortion. She's built a career out of unexpected delights. Jenny sat down with us recently to talk about how she gets it done, which, ideally, is not a process that begins with sleeping through her alarm. Starting a few years ago, she decided she was going to be the kind of person who had a morning routine. And I started to just get up really, really early in the morning uh-huh. and be like, you have the potential to be this lady. This, like, lady. This lady who's what? Who like, wakes up the... so early and is just, like, you know, young Georgia O'Keefe or something. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, base it off of that. Who's an artist who feels singular, who you just wouldn't say, like, why do you do that? You would never second guess her. You'd be like, she has a system. It's working, yeah, clearly. Yeah, she has a system. Yeah. She lives within her process. Like, why do you think that you're just a teenager who can't have a process? Uh-huh. So I started to just really have one. And that was getting up really, really early and making things, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm not really saying anything original, but making things into rituals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the rituals you came up with at that stage? Um, really specific, easy things. Go into the kitchen at 5 a.m., turn on the radio to KPCC, which is the California NPR station that I listen to, then turn on the kettle, Mm -hmm. grind the coffee, go upstairs, wake the dog up because he would not get up when I would get up, bring him outside, put him outside, smell the air, come back in. Hopefully the kettle's like almost ready. Mm -hmm. All this time, don't look at the phone. Yeah. Uh, Feed the dog, give the dog the insulin, and then make the coffee in the French press. And while the French press is happening, I set my desk up for work. And what do you have to have set up on your desk to do work? Just no clutter there. Uh Uh-huh. Tidiness. Yeah. Tidying. I love tidying. (laughs) Starting your day early, avoiding the vortex of your phone, conjuring the life-changing magic of tidying up. They're all classic pieces of advice on how to get it done. And then, of course, there's the old favorite. How about getting a little exercise? When you have really bad anxiety people will suggest, like, just work out. And just, like, lift something up. Okay. This is Jenny in her new comedy special. Like, and I just was like, okay, I'll just work out. But I never stopped smoking weed. I was just like, I'll just keep smoking weed while working out. And I just got more and more anxious and, like, working out more and more and just being like, why isn't it working? And, like, be, like, smoking huge hits of weed and then going to the gym and, like, huffing and puffing and lifting my two-pounders. And just being like, what the 
fuck, like, why am I lifting these two pounders? Like, why am I even trying to change my body at all? My body is beautiful. Like, I hate this industry that I work in. They're trying to make my body look like the body of, like, Billy Elliot or something. And just, like, (laughs) fuck them for trying to fuck with my holy life cycle. And, like, patriarchy is fucking with me so hard that I feel it in my spirit. My spirit is in my pussy. And my pussy hurts so badly. This gym is hurting my fucking pussy. And then it was like, why does my pussy hurt so much? And then it was like, oh, my God, I'm on drugs and my thong's on backwards. The new special is called Stage Fright. And Stage Fright, day-ruining, diarrhea-inducing Stage Fright, is one of Jenny's biggest challenges as she tries to get it done. How long has Stage Fright been something that you've dealt with? I didn't always have it. I didn't understand it. Because Mm -hmm. as a child, I was so eager to be a performer. And then when I started to be able to be one, like in the improv group in college, no Stage Fright. You know, just like whatever you imagine, like a really, really good athlete who knows that they're good feels like before they win a race that they know they're about to win. That's kind of how I felt. I was just like, there's no negative outcome for me because I'm on the stage. And that doesn't mean I'm going to like dominate. It just means like I've gotten what I wanted. But getting out of college and realizing I want to turn this into a career was very difficult. Tell me more about what that transition was like for you. It just wasn't available to me. I didn't have any connections. I didn't know how to become a performer. I knew enough to know that a lot of the situations that women can be kind of like, I don't know, like fooled into or whatever are just like predatory and scary. So I was really frightened of a casting couch situation or something like that. And not only that, I really believed in the thing which was like, and you're not even hot enough to be asked to be on the casting couch, like full-on misogynist brainwashing. Internally. Yeah, Yeah. just like really feeling like I don't understand where I fit in. And I don't know anybody who works in the entertainment industry. So um, it felt really scary. But I didn't didn't ever think that I wouldn't do it. Really? Yeah. I just had a lot of appetite, and I still didn't have any fear. I definitely had a couple experiences where I, like, got conned by fake acting teachers into giving them, like— money that my grandmother gave me and they'd be like, we're going to introduce you to casting directors and then just like, you know, nothing happened. <laughs> Tell me about one of those experiences. Ugh, I went to, I don't know how I found this place, but a bunch of other suckers and I were in <laughs> the community of suckers. <laughs> community of people who want to be actors who aren't suckers. Yeah. They're just, you know, I mean, now I think like, oh, I was such a sucker. When I think back on how not an expert that acting teacher was. Uh I took a course on, like, how to audition for commercials. Um, It was a male acting teacher who gave another woman and I a script that we had to do where we had to um, kiss each other. And we were playing female athletes. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, good game today or whatever. Like, I don't, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've never played an athlete in Uh my career uh before. No one's really, like, banging down the door to be like, Jenny, you need to play. (laughs) This Olympian is you. A track and field star, you know? Um, Yeah. Um, And I didn't get any jobs from that, obviously. And, like, it was just so... um, Stupid. Just genuinely dumb. Um, were you and the other woman who were supposed to kiss each other like, what the fuck? Like, did you balk at that? Or were you guys kind of like, well, like, I guess this is what it takes. I just was really young and, and very optimistic. And I thought maybe this discomfort is part of what this is. Yeah. But it felt so 70s. I felt like I was in a deleted, unfunny, uncool scene from Tootsie. <laughs> 
Like, I'm like Terry Gar's friend that they never show. <laughs> just is in this, like, bad acting class. And um, I just had no idea how to start. But uh-huh. there was just so much tenderness and heartbreak and so much hope. My friends and I from Columbia, we, like, formed our own sketch group and started to put shows up at a tiny theater. Mm-hmm. And I just still didn't have fear. But when I started to be on TV, I started to get stage fright. Do you remember the first time that happened? I don't remember the first time, but I remember, like, I got on SNL. It was like the message had been answered. The way that I got on that show was incredibly positive. Everything was cool until my first episode, Mm -hmm. and I said fuck on air. And the culture of that show was really don't make a mistake. In general, don't make a mistake and don't let anybody see weakness and— then it just hit me like a like a curse or an illness. I felt that all I was was mistakes and and weakness. I suddenly was very, very frightened and didn't understand the impact that that experience would have on me because I had always thought of myself as like wild, rather reckless and brave. And suddenly I was just like, you're just an idiot. And so when I would go back down to Brooklyn— and get up on stage after that happened, I just thought everyone thinks I'm not even the woman, but the girl who said a swear. I don't think swears are bad. Yeah. I just felt like an idiot. And so I started to get up on stage, and I felt like suddenly the crowd had, like, squiggles all over their faces. And have you ever seen those Liana Fink drawings? Mm -hmm. The way that she draws angry men. Describe it a little, yeah. just It's like they just have these, like, big, mouths with pointy teeth um, and like, or or sometimes there will be like scribbles Uh there. And that's how it felt to me, which is not the fault of the people there. And in fact, I like, I couldn't ever, I can't trust my own perception of that time, but, but I got stage fright then and it got worse and worse and worse and it hasn't ever gone away, but it's gotten better. How do you remember processing what was happening at the time? I was just genuinely so sad. And I really did not feel good about myself. And I felt like, well, here you are. You've arrived at the end of a childhood dream and you have no other destination and you've really lost it. You've really lost your chance and you're just not, you're just not what you thought. And what a shame. How old were you at the time? I was 27. I feel like that's Old enough that in your own head, it's the time when you could feel like, this is it. This is it. I'm done. Like, I've reached sort of like yeah. the apex of whatever I'm going to be able to be. And actually, in retrospect, it's like, no, you're crazy. Like, you're so young still, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was 26 or 27 when I got cast on the show. I can't remember. But I also suffered from that wrong <laughs> assumption that your 20s are your, uh, like, totally formed adulthood. If anybody had told me, I've said this before, but like the 20s were a total secret surprise adolescence. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until around 33 that I was like, okay, I think I get this. Yeah. Concretely, what did you have to do to kind of get yourself there? What techniques did you start to find to deal with getting rid of that Um, miasma of badness? Yeah. It took a long time, but I went to a hypnotist And I went three times, and whether or not that is a real thing that 
works or whatever for people. Um, it worked for me mm -hmm. in that I was able to get back up on stage and clear away a lot of like the clamor. And I found myself weirdly before I would go on stage, I would say out loud, I'm a seasoned professional. <laughs> Like, why am I saying this? <laughs> How did you start doing that? I don't know. <laughs> Who would you say it to? Myself. Yeah. Yeah. But so, now sometimes I've it's slipped in. I'm a seasoned professional. I'm a seasoned professional. <laughs> I don't know why I would say that, except for that I think that man put that into my head. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thinking about stage fright, I was wondering if that's an experience, that kind of sense of anxiety, insecurity that you have in other situations in your life. Yeah. I mean, I— I know I'm not depressed, you know, like I, I've had I've had times in my life where I'm like, ooh, that's depression. And it's been, you know, four months of like, ooh, okay, that yeah. that actually is that. And I'm lucky enough that that does not occur for me anymore. But I get anxiety. I get anxiety attacks. And they change the entire view of the world for me. And they're really intense. What do you mean by change the entire view of the world for you? There is a sense of um, dread, like like energetic dread, like I've done something really wrong, or the people that love me are burdened by me. They really—that's the, actually the main thing. When I walk into a room, the anxiety tells me people do not want to deal with this. It's such a bummer. You just threw like a big, dirty yellow blanket all over everything. Like <laughs> you're just you're just too heavy. And it's a shame, and they're mad at you for not being grateful for what you have because you have so much more than most people. And, like, it's just that's how it feels. It's like you're a drag, and everybody just thinks you can't you can't manage it. God, what a shame. And um, it descended on me a couple times this summer really hard, and I'm far out of it now. But um, it can be very, very difficult, and I'm also ashamed of it. Tell me a little bit about how you pulled yourself out of it when you were going through it this summer. Um, I was honest with my partner about it. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized that he was not grossed out by it, and then being able to share my feelings with my partner and that he was so helpful in helping them dissipate, yeah, that suddenly it just seemed like it was not such a big deal. And there's no shame between us in that way. And I'm really lucky for that. So I've, I've never had that before. Um, I also pretty much stopped drinking. Tell me more about that. Well, I love drinking. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> I love it. And I love, oh, you know, boozy four bottle of wine dinner with like yeah. eight friends or whatever. You know, I just, I love that. And I love drinking martinis and I love treats. Treats, uh, I yeah. love treats, and I love giving myself treats, and the moment where I say I deserve a treat because I've just been so great. But um, it started to become pretty clear to me that while I don't have a drinking problem, when I would drink a lot and I would wake up the next morning and I already had anxiety, it would be a lot worse. That's what I've noticed about hangovers in my 30s are they're primarily anxiety-based. Like, it's oh, just yeah. waking up with this feeling of like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, yeah, oh, God, like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, yeah. Was there an inciting incident or something that made you think like, oh, actually, like, I need to kind of reassess this? No, not really. But just a feeling at the end of the summer or like actually maybe mid, I don't know, like mid-September, um, where I 
just woke up one morning after like drinking a lot of whiskey the night before and just felt so anxious and was like, this is from that. You just know it is. You love drinking so much that you say it's not, but it is. Yeah. And just like, stop. Just stop for a second. And I didn't think it would be possible because whenever a friend is like, let's have a drink, I think that's so much fun. Yeah, it always sounds like that's the ticket. And it is fun. It's just not right for me right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coming up. Am I like the dead wife from Sleepless in Seattle? Am I like in a memory of like high-fiving outside of, of sports games? Jenny confronts these and other existential questions after the break. Welcome back. This week, I'm talking to comedian, actor, and writer Jenny Slate about how she gets it done. In the last few years, she's been going through some big changes. I'm divorced. I'm divorced. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, you can kind of cheer for it. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) And she's just starting to grapple with that on stage. I felt like every time I would be like, say, I'm divorced, it just came out like, I was in a volcano accident. I'm the only person it's ever happened to. I was in a mall and suddenly a volcano happened. It was very shocking. I'm broken now. And if you mention like mountains or inclines or declines, I'm just gonna freak out. (laughs) And the force of my sadness is going to ruin your life plus mine. Jenny says that after her divorce, she felt like she was so sad there was no place for her in the world. And since then, she's been thinking harder about how to create one, whether on her own, a la Georgia O'Keeffe, or with her new partner, Ben. She manages to make little nests for herself wherever she goes. Domesticity is very sacred to me. Making a home uh-huh. is, it's just like the central thing in my life. When I cannot make a home, in a, even in a hotel room, I feel really lost. How do you, what's step one of making a home for you? What's the thing you have to do to feel like you're at home? Putting everything in a certain place on purpose. Not just like throwing shit down, but putting everything in a certain place on purpose and starting to sort of figure out how the trains run, basically. Like, what are the paths? What are like the the paths in the the house that you're going to take the most? And what can you line those paths with? Whether it's like, or in the hotel room, like, where are you going to put your journal and your book so that... You're just starting to create little pathways in this garden and that they mark that space. I just take it really seriously. It's it's sort of like, it's so sweet. It's like when you see children playing a game and you know that they're marking out a world and you're like, this, they're like, this is where the dungeon is. And like, this is where the, the kitchen is in the castle. And this is where that, and like, you can't see anything but the backyard, but they can see everything. Uh-huh. That's what I'm doing. And I'm doing it all the time, all the time. And it's always there. Even when I get into a car, I think about where I'm sitting and how I'm sitting and what I'm touching. And I just try hard to do that. Well, is this something that you feel like you internalized growing up? Like, how does this relate to your parents' vibescape or like your kind of home that you first knew? It's in opposition. Really? Oh, yeah. Big time. I grew up in a big haunted house that was like just crazy. It just, you know, I... My mom's always like, she feels so sad when I, or not sad, but she's like, you don't understand. Like, you girls would just throw your shit around. And I often believe that she needed evidence of the mess 
and her own sort of like physical exhaustion to show us how much she loved us. Huh. And I just really don't, that stresses me out. And I genuinely love my mom, but I don't love that, that, that feeling of a mess. And so my adult life has been like, I put myself together no matter how exhausted I am. I do pick an outfit. I'm just not sitting around in like something that isn't on purpose. And my home is organized and clean and does not need to fall apart even when I fall apart, even when everything has fallen away, hmm. that it, at least there is this. And the, the clutter in our house just stressed me out. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't, I just really don't like it. And um, well, the more that I decide on how I'm going to behave as an adult, uh-huh. the more I observe my parents and I'm like, oh, that was the norm growing up. I either want to be like that or not or whatever. So now that I'm getting close to basically with their age, when I was a child, yeah. I'm thinking about that a lot. What are specific things you've thought like, that is who I want to be, that is who I don't want to be about that relationship? Um, I just, it bums me out when people don't control their tone under stress. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, really, really hard. But I, I like it when I can see people working to communicate in a warm and smiley way when things are like getting a little bit stressful. Yeah. And uh, and that's something I work on. And uh, that is not something that was super modeled in our household. A lot of like, <laughs> <laughs> like total clenching. Yeah. Full body. Yeah. <laughs> just like clench. And uh, like even sometimes like I'll get a text message from my dad and it just reads like a telegram during a war from the past. And it's just like, <laughs> This doesn't have to be like this. It's like, Nancy and I headed to beach, no room in trunk. It's like, okay. Like, this text is about going to the beach. Like, let's chill. Let's just chill. Yeah. Because I don't like that. I don't like that level. Um, I love to be at home and have nothing to do and to be like, like last Sunday we were at home and we didn't have much to do, and Ben was writing, and I made chicken soup, and I made pound cake, and that was, like, very good for me. What do you think that a version of yourself from 10 years ago, like a late 20-something version of you, would think of where you are now? I think she'd like it. I think it is miraculous. I think I think that's what, that's what myself back then would think. I'm 37. So 27, you know, I was just on SNL. Mm-hmm. I think the way that I would feel is like, oh, my God, there was a freedom there that I didn't know was possible. And I am more free than ever before. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, so I, I'm pretty happy these days. So sometimes I'm like, oh, God, am I going to get cancer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want like, to jinx I it. You really, can't get too comfortable. Truly, like, Ben and I were walking around in D.C. the other day, and I just, like— I just love him so much without reservation. Like, I don't I, I don't have a critique. I don't have a critique of him. Uh-huh. And I think he feels the same way about me. And I truly was like, am I going to fucking die soon? <laughs> really? Like, without, I, I just, I just like, Is that oh, an unfamiliar no. experience? Yes. I've never felt that way. Like, we were walking around. I was like, oh, my God, this is so genuinely it. This is it. It is it. And I was like, fuck. Am I like the dead wife from Sleepless in Seattle? 
Am I like in a memory of like high-fiving outside of, of sports game? Yeah, you're like in a montage you know, I'm like, like music is playing truly and it's a like sad memory. Wearing a nice sweater and I'm actually just, uh, I'm in a memory of death. I'm like, oh no. You can watch Jenny's special Stage Fright on Netflix. And her new book of essays is called Little Weirds. It's about anxiety, domesticity, and all the stuff we've been talking about. It's out now. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. Also, we need your help. We've been thinking about all the mortifying emails sitting in our sent mail folders, all the things that are now a full-body cringe to reread. And so, as we look back over the decade, we want to know, what's the most embarrassing email you sent in the last 10 years? Give us a call and tell us about it. Our number is 920-368-3341. Cannot wait to hear from you. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Lynn Levy and Stella Bugby. Special thanks to Lena Little. Mixing is by Emma Munger. Our music is by Haley Shaw, Emma Munger, and Peter Leonard. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvanesso. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut. Thank you.